As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome in to another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Stegley. With me, as always, is a man who doesn't share a birthday with Taylor Swift, but he might as well. He is Cody Stavenhagen. <laughs> hey, Karen, how's it going? Taylor and I are actually a different zodiac signs, despite being, I think, nine days apart birthday wise. So, kind of hit that cut off. My brother. I was born on the 21st. I'm born on the 22nd. Uh, we have different zodiac signs. Very interesting. Yeah. Younger and, brother, uh, six years apart, born uh, born a day apart. So <laughs> not like it'd be kind of cool if we were twins, like delivered, like one at 11:59, the other at like 12:01, you know. But that's not the case. Well, your parents clearly on the same clock. You know, six years later. I mean. <laughs> There's a mistake. Like, not only do you put the kids' birthdays together, you put them both next to Christmas. Like, talk about a chaotic season. Poor, poor planning, really. Sorry, mom and dad. I mean, I was always upset at my parents for you know being an April birthday. I'm like, God, I gotta wait so long to drive. I gotta wait yeah. so long to buy tobacco, which I don't do anymore. <laughs> I gotta wait so long. It's like the end of my junior year before I can drink yeah. in college. You know, I was like, Oh God. Terrible timing on, on, on their parts as well. Uh, good timing, Cody, for the Tigers this week. Uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about one signing, and then this is our first podcast with another signing. So Scott Harris goes and improves the pitching staff. We'll break these down uh, individually. Let's start with Andrew Chapin. He's back. Big country. I saw him pitch when he was with the Brewers. And I think you said he allowed like 13, what was it, 13 earned runs and uh, and, and 11 appearances or, or something like that. Whatever that number is, I'm pretty sure I saw more than half of them. Because he came <laughs> in, when he came in uh, against the Rangers, the Brewers had like a 10-1 to lead or, you know, some equivalent. And uh, that was actually Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State Day at the Rangers ballpark. And he came in and I think he gave up six. I think he was tagged with six or whatever and i was like oh man doesn't really have it uh not the best season for uh good old andrew and the tigers bring him back so it's not an opt-out this time 
but it's a two-year deal with a club option on the second deal or second year, I should say, four point two five million for the first year, and the club option is six point five in twenty twenty five. So, a guy who seems like he might have been better off going ahead and you know not opting out of his contract uh, last year. Uh, and and now he's back where where he was anyway, and uh, had the chance to make like about eleven million dollars uh, over the next couple of years if, if things bounce right. So, Cody, your reaction to the signing? Yeah, uh, I, I like it. Um, I going in wasn't sure if the Tigers were primed for a reunion with Chafin. I worry that didn't worry, but I thought perhaps they would be turned off by the lack of strike throwing. He had a career high walk rate last season. Um, so when they made the move, uh, I wouldn't say I was surprised, but I was a little surprised. They needed a lefty reliever. I just didn't know if it would be Chafin. Um, but then looking a little closer at the numbers, listening to Scott Harris talk, starts to make a lot of sense. Through July 1st of last season, Chafin had a 2.83 ERA, which was identical to the ERA he had for the Tigers in 2022. So this guy was really good for the majority of the season. He finished with uh, scoreless outings and I believe his last seven appearances. So really, he had a pretty poor into July, a pretty brutal August, and kind of tanked his season numbers. The strike throwing throughout the year was not quite as sharp, um, but it still missed a lot of bats with the slider. Uh, velocity actually ticked up a little bit. Um, I think this is a very useful addition to your bullpen. We know this guy. He's reliable. He tends to post consistently you add him and Tyler Holton a former Diamondback who the Tigers got on the cheap and suddenly you feel really good about your crop of lefty relievers so Scott Harris is out here still making moves he's been a productive young man I'm starting to wonder like does he have like a European vacation planned for January or something is he just planning to like not work that month um I'll probably regret saying that he'll probably make like three trades or something but uh tigers continue to make moves lefty reliever was probably the biggest remaining box they needed to check and they've done it with a familiar face who by the way hasn't really changed a bit based on his introductory call with reporters yeah well that was the major takeaway from from what i read from that that media call was a lot of like off the field stuff with him is sort of what he was crediting not having a season up to par and to his credit seems like he has a plan to change it. So if you guys didn't get a chance to read it, uh, there's a story on the athletic. You can read if you're a subscriber, more or less, he didn't like being away from his family's farm in Ohio. I forget the town. Uh, and Maslin. yeah. And so it, being away from the wife and kids and, you know, so no, his wife like was his wife was pregnant mid-season. I believe gave oh, okay. birth mid-season, so that was probably a, a contributing factor. You know. Oh, for sure. That would you know. How are you supposed to keep your mind on, uh, you know, on the game when you got that going on? You know, so uh, it it seemed to be like it just didn't look like a right, a good fit for him personally, just geographically speaking. And I'll tell you what, you know, one of the reasons why your general baseball fan is always going to love a guy like him as he just seems like your average dude, you know, uh, like the guy that you would love to have a beer with. And so hearing him kind of be a little vulnerable there was, was also refreshing, but also seeing that he kind of took, or he says he took the, 
down year, I guess you would call it, seriously enough that he's kind of reshaping his offseason a little bit. Actually, he's going to start working out at Kent State, and seems like he's, you know, he's not ever going to be on Muscle and Fitness Magazine or anything like that, but it seems like he's going to take his, uh, his workout regimen a little bit more seriously than he typically probably had to being a, you know, lefty pitcher coming out of the pen, let's be honest here. Uh, so, I actually wrote down, Cody, this is very interesting, I think. Could he possibly be a role model for Javi Baez? Could he be, a, could, could he be like, Javi? Things haven't been going that well. Look at Andrew. Yeah, if Andrew, if Andrew Chafin is starting to take things a little more seriously, <laughs> maybe you should as well. I, I guess I see where you're going there. I still think Javi Baez at least does work out probably more than Andrew Chapin <laughs> ever has in his life. Um, so I don't know. Chapin literally said he's he's doing some body weight stuff, but he doesn't lift weights. He sees no purpose. And he might not necessarily be wrong, let's be honest again. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's not like, as you said, he's, he's not going to be on the mag cover anytime soon. But he is working out and, and throwing bullpens. This guy's been a major league pitcher. He's going to achieve 10 years of service time this year. He's never thrown bullpens in the offseason before. He just hasn't pitched. Now, he's still working on the farm. He's talking to, he's, he's uh, building a new house, and he, he's got some entrepreneurial spirit as well. He and his wife are opening a wedding venue, which I really want to know what like that's going to be like. Um, I would like Andrew Chafin to be the officiant uh, if I were to ever get married. I think that'd be a good time. <laughs> Um, but he's talking about like getting an excavator and a dump truck and moving dirt around and working on go-karts and all these very Andrew Chafin things. At the same time, as my understanding, his agent's been hounding him for a few years. Like, dude, you're getting older. If you want to keep being able to do this, you're going to have to do something baseball oriented in the off season. Took a down year. Um, they, Chafin used the word wake up call, smack in the face. So as much as he hasn't changed, it was interesting to, see a little bit of a more serious side of Andrew Chafin on the Zoom call and to hear that uh, he's not going to roll up to spring training just having not done anything in months like he did the last time he was the Tiger. Yeah, and I and not only that, but I mean, I don't know his whole career as a, uh, as a free agent, but the last two, he was a guy that he technically was not employed and didn't yeah. have a pitching coach to kind of give him – you know, what I'm sure, you know, files and files and files of information that Federer has probably already uh, sent his way on in, in the inbox. So that's another thing that I think will be very interesting to see for him specifically. I mean, obviously, we're not going to blow it out of proportion about, like, what his impact on the team will be. This is not this is not Otani level or anything like that. But, like, in terms of a steady, reliable guy, he's more well set up to do that this year just by the timing of the signing. And sometimes also... As, as a fan of the team and as a fan of the guy and the player, sometimes I, I, I try to catch myself a little bit in being, like, too excited for, like, the known commodity. You see what I'm saying? Where it's like, oh, yeah, we got Chafin back. You know, that's going to be great. And it's like, will it be great? I don't know. Like, sometimes it's not – team hasn't had a winning record in a while. Like, you don't necessarily need to keep bringing back the same players. Uh, <laughs> but I think in this case, I think it is it is warranted and – uh and I liked uh, I li- any any content from uh, Big Country. I'm a fan of, and I guess what is it? Him and Foley are gonna get a you know they got a boat already for spring training or something like that. 
I would love to do spring training with Andrew. Oh, my I will God. just I will, I'll, I'll say that uh, for sure. So I think overall it's a good addition, but uh, but it'll be interesting to see how he how he does. And of course, and of course, and of course, Scott Harris ain't ain't getting rid of that flexibility, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, it's it, 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 it. We didn't really know how Harris felt about him last year post opt out, and uh, because it didn't really seem like they seriously kind of looked to to bring him back. But obviously, Scott Harris. Yeah, is and and that does bring up like some revisionist history. If you wanted to get into it, like why didn't the Tigers just bring Chafin back last season? Uh, it seemed like they're kind of splitting hairs over a million or two, you know, one way or the other, and they didn't want to spend on the bullpen. They ended up getting Tyler Holton, who was really, really good. Uh, but there are multiple points throughout the season where it would have been nice to have another lefty reliever, uh, which they now have. Now they have Holton and Chafin. Uh, it's kind of a weird last year for Chafin last season. And it was like, yeah, probably could have just had this guy the whole time. But not consequential at the end of the day. He's here now in a season that likely will have at least a little bit more at stake in Detroit. Well, I mean, it's and it's nice always to hear a guy that like really wanted to come back, you know, uh, yeah. for for the reasons that are good for him. That has nothing to do really with the organization in terms of you know. Yeah, it's mostly people. just but, because he can live there in his <laughs> RV in a campsite that's like between Comerica and his and his house. But, but you know, but but he also probably did. I assume like playing for AJ, like being coached by Fetter. Uh, Foley's relationship, we get to see that again. I'm sure all that stuff d- did play into I, it. I, I would love to know more about what the conversations with like Fetter and even AJ are like. <laughs> These two very smart guys, you know, Fetter, a, a, a genius of modern pitching, and then you have Chafin. Uh, yeah, I'll throw him a slatter and I bet he'll swing at it, you know, like. Uh, how do they, that. how do you, how do you adjust your coaching language to get through mm-hmm. to Andrew Chafin? I don't know. <laughs> What did he say when he signed with the Tigers for the first time? I don't know. You know, it's up and in, down and away. You know? <laughs> yeah, something to that. <laughs> kind of same old, same old. Yeah, credit where credit is due. Uh, the other big signing, Cody, Trey Winkenter, uh, back on a minor league deal. Is that the obviously, other big thought... signing? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so obviously I kid a little bit. But your boy, your boy's getting another shot here. Have you, are, you, are, you, are you holding on to your uh, Winkenter uh, stock? I don't know, man. I don't know if he, some guys just can't stay healthy. I think uh, last year he was primed for a bounce back and he just, he just couldn't stay healthy. So uh, I, li- I like the Tigers not being afraid to take another flyer on him on a minor league deal. There's obviously potential there if he can be healthy and if he can command the baseball. Unfortunately, those have kind of been the two questions that have plagued him throughout his entire career. And the older you get, probably the harder it gets to, uh, to change, yeah, especially on the health front. Yeah, I mean, no cost to the Tigers to bring him back. I think it's fine. Uh, again, if there's something you like and you can hone, you know, who who knows? We we know how pitchers and injuries are anyway, so you just, you just never know. All right, so the actual big signing, Jack Flaherty coming uh, coming to Detroit, one year, fourteen million. This got a how do I say this? This got a mixed review. On, I saw on, a lot of negativity. I didn't was, see a lot of positivity. I mean, it wasn't. Uh, you're probably right. It was probably 65, 70 percent negative, honestly. And even people in your mentions at Cody Staven Hagen, uh, kind of fiery, fiery with the reactions, uh, reactions to the reactions. So, like I said, one year, fourteen million. 
uh, real quick, because I do have a, sort of a question on this. But you, just your reaction, did you have any, because uh, this was on Thursday, night, I believe. Do you have any indication this was coming? Did you, <laughs> you, you know, no. After, no? Uh, no. I had not even heard a whisper of Flaherty. I was heading out the door to go to uh, the Christmas Vacation pop-up bar in Royal Oak, Griswold's. Oh. And literally had the code on, had the keys in hand, and get the Jeff Passing notification on my phone. So uh, shout out uh, sources for giving me no heads up. And then it was like, <laughs> all right, uh, sorry, babe, give me like 30 minutes here. And get, luckily, I was able out. to get it confirmed pretty quickly, and uh, just wrote up some news on it. Um, and in the moment, I was I was kind of scrambling, and because I had I had plans and places to be, but I was kind of like, okay, why? Normally with Scott Harris, you can very quickly look at baseball savant or fan graphs or whatever and be like, oh, all right. He thinks they can get this guy to do X better. And I don't really see that on the surface level and even kind of the next level of underlying stats with Flaherty. Now, this is a guy who's been very good in 2019. He finished fourth in the Cy Young voting. He was kind of this young hotshot on the rise, but it's been – a lot of ups and downs, a lot of recurring injuries since then. Um, so, like, I don't hate the signing to the degree it seemed like some people on Tiger's Twitter did. It's it's depth. It's a guy who can be a fifth or sixth starter. It's a guy who has been good in his major league career. At the same time, um, I don't know. Like, when I do look at the other names, would I rather had Michael Walker or Kyle Gibson or a Seth Lugo or – you know, so on and so forth, probably. Like, Jack Flaherty is not the guy I would have pegged to be a good fit for these Tigers. Um, you know, he had a, a 4.99 ERA last year, kind of was a letdown after he got traded to the Orioles. Um, the, the stuff, you know, he does miss bats. Uh, 9.23 Ks per nine last season. I think that's good. But he struggled with walks in the past. Um, I mean, his arsenal is, is diverse, but it's, uh, he, he struggled to kind of find that calling card pitch over the past few seasons. Um, just looking at it, I don't exactly see, uh, oh, the Tigers think they can, you know, if they can get him to strike out more guys or generate more walks or generate more ground balls or whatever, makes me wonder if they have some deeper arsenal tweak, um, in mind. I don't know. So Flaherty, like, a little bit of a confusing signing to me. A lot of people seemed upset about the money. 14 mil sounds like a lot. Um, I think you do have to realize like that's just go the going rate. Flaherty was worth 1.8 F war last season, which projects to $14.1 million. So that tells you, this is how the Tigers have done signings since Harris took over. This is how most teams are signing players these days, especially mid-level free agents. Look at the wins above replacement. One war is the equivalent of about eight million on the market, and you kind of do the math from there. Like that's just how it goes. It's a one-year deal, so I'm not upset about the money. Literally, statistically, it wasn't an overpay. It was exactly market value. If you were going to devote 14 million to a pitcher, I do. There are guys out there I like more. Um, it also seems designed to be a flip, man. Like, unless maybe the Tigers end up in the race, seems like a guy, a Michael Lorenzen type. Okay, let's get him to do something a little better. Seems like a guy signed to be traded. I think. Well, Lorenzen was twelve million last year, right? So that that probably that extra two million is probably just year to year inflation. You know, 
Uh, or less. So, and I don't know, and I'm not even comparing the numbers. I'm just kind of comparing the the type of player slash contract. Uh, my 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 question and my reaction is okay. You paying a guy, you know, one year, fourteen million, whatever. Obviously, money doesn't really matter. But did you are you giving a guy fourteen million this year? Is there an established role ready made for him? That's my question. Because you're talking about maybe he's a fixed or six starter, or and then you you know you, t- you know, on Twitter you talked about the pen, and and I, I'm not here to dispute anything. I'm just saying it's like we're kind of we know what Maeda's kind of role is slides into. It's ready made for him, you know. Cano, it's, it's ready made for him. And now you just signed a pitcher 14 million that you know maybe this will be dumb in three months or whatever. It's like oh yeah, obviously he's your number you know whatever four starter, four or five starter. But right now it just it. I don't really see the ease of just kind of, you know, plant him in there with the role. And you paid a guy $14 million that we're all kind of like, okay? You know, that that's yeah. kind of like my concern, you know? It does raise the question, could this signal a trade on the horizon? Like a Matt Manning or one of these guys in the rotation, maybe they're being shopped. I don't know that. I haven't heard that. But you connect some dots, it makes you wonder a little bit. Uh, but I also raised the bullpen question because if you go into spring training with – Scooble, Maeda, Mize, Manning, and Reese Olsen, it's quite possible Jack Flaherty gets squeezed out. He ended the year pitching out of the pin for the Orioles. That's kind of more of like a a contending team playoff type construction, but he has done it at least a little bit before. Or if things go poorly and he's just not pitching well, you could move him to the pin. That's an expensive relief arm suddenly. That's not market value, but uh, I kind of figured the Tigers would target more of a swing man if they were going to add like a like a Michael Lorenzen, um, which begs the question: Who would you rather have right now, Lorenzen or Flaherty? I would almost lean Lorenzen. And here's another uh, hot for take. the Tigers. I would I would I would say here's another Lorenzen. hot take. Or another who's, team. I don't know. Yeah, you know who Flaherty reminds me of? Spencer Turnbull. Hmm. A lot of similarities. Like pretty I mean, similar type pitchers. Kind of similar. You know, ERA wise, strikeout wise, like both of Flaherty in 2019, which was a long time ago, reached a higher peak, but both have kind of had some ups and downs. Uh, Almost seems like a 14 million Spencer Turnbull to me, which isn't necessarily bad, but I mean, I'm not outraged by the price or anything like that. I just kind of. I don't know. Like it was pretty clear when Lorenzen was signed last year. It's like here's your four or five guy, you know, whatever number. Right. And he was signed under the stipulation, and Matthew Boyd too, by the way, just randomly, uh, that you're you're in the starting five essentially. And I don't. I guess we'll find out more uh, when you get your next Scott Harris. Uh, yeah. So that's important to note. Phil. The signing still pending physical. Uh, we haven't talked to Harris yet. We haven't talked to Flaherty yet. I would be very interested to hear kind of the Scott Harris rationale for why Flaherty, what they think he can do better, and what they say about about specific role. So we sit here mid-December, and there's going to be other moves. We'll have more to talk about as uh, the calendar turns and we get into spring training, and you know, and and the flow will be back. It'll be back before we know it, Cody. Uh, but in your article that was put together as you were trying to go uh go see the griswolds as as it, as it comes to find out you put a little line in there and and i wanted to talk about it a little bit more because you're not wrong 
But no one's talking about it like this. And I don't even know if you meant to sort of like blow my mind when, when you wrote this. You said, you know, the Tigers uh, the Tigers have done X, Y, Z, blah, 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 in what's been a productive offseason thus far. And I was like, huh. You know, it actually has been a productive. You wouldn't know it just based on everybody, you know, clamoring for the big moves and all that stuff and literally nothing happening at uh, at, at winter meetings, right? And, you know, but you, if you kind of list it out, it it makes sense. So what, what did you want to do? You wanted to bolster the pitching staff, did that. You wanted to add a lefty reliever. Did that. You wanted to add a right-handed outfield bat with, you know, some DH, maybe even some first base, you know, kind of flexibility. Did that. Uh, you wanted to instill confidence in your 2B major leaguers, so the Jay Hens and the Colt Keys of the world. You wanted to leave the door open for them to be able to earn a role on this team. You've done that by not doing anything, but technically you have, you have done that. I got to say, I mean, also, you also uh, kind of filter out some guys that maybe aren't good fits in the organization. And for, you know, for a million reasons we've talked about, Turnbull was just one of those guys that just didn't really seem like an organizational fit for reasons, like I said, we've talked about. It has been a productive offseason. And so, like... Uh, I think they deserve some credit for kind of meticulously. This is the epitome of the small baseball moves stacking. You know, we'll see if they're good moves, but in terms of like the idea behind them, this is the epitome of it. And they have done what I would say would be a very basic offseason list this year. You kind of revamp the coaching staff. There's infrastructure improvements. Uh, it actually has been, you, you joked about the vacation thing. There hasn't been a day off for Scott Harris yet. So so yeah, when you put it like that, man, it's a it's been a pretty productive off season, and it's not flashy, not sexy, but it's there. Yeah, I mean, I use the word productive kind of at its at its most basic uh, definition, like producing, like things are happening. Scott Harris is producing work, tangible work. He's been busy. Uh, how much has he improved the team? Not by leaps and bounds. I think the team is better this off season than than it came in. And there's been some sort of news, something happening every week. The Tigers were not even to Christmas yet, and they have pretty much checked every obvious box. Anything they do from here um, seems like a bonus. So that is why I use the term productive. And again, especially when you look at the rest of the division, where you have the Twins doing nothing, and you have the Guardians doing nothing, probably going to trade Shane Bieber, potentially make themselves worse uh, in the short term at least. Uh, then, then maybe you can feel pretty good. You know, like the Tigers and the Royals are the most active AL Central teams this winter, which is uh, kind of wild to think about. And as long as the Twins and Guardians keep doing nothing, you can feel a little bit better and better if you're a Tigers fan. Do you like these Royals moves? Do you think? I like that they're trying. I like that they're just not uh, submitting to being god-awful. I don't think that uh, any of them will be overly consequential. That team still has too many holes uh, for anything to make much of a difference. But, hey, they're not – I like that they're not saying, yeah, let's just lose 110 games again. Who cares? Whatever. I guess the question is, from the end of la from the end of the 2023 season to now – and, again, we're still only mid-December – 
but the end of the 2023 season to now, did the Tigers, in some tangible way, improve their chances of winning what is certainly going to be a weak division? Just improve their chances. Yeah, I think absolutely. As much as I was saying last week, like I'm still not all the way on board with the 2024 Tigers. I think they've absolutely improved their chances. And there was some, I I, I saw some pushback on Twitter, not necessarily to anybody in particular, but just like this notion of not blocking uh, young guys. So again, Jahan Keith and all that stuff. And, And this person was upset, basically being like, that's not a real thing. Like the better player will play, blah, 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 blah. And it was, it was, it was a take that I respected. It was a take that I respected because I was like, you know, cream always rises. I understand where you're coming from, but I, I don't necessarily know if it was very like uh, realistic. But I respected the take. But I still think it's more important for the Tigers to give Colt Keith every opportunity he can to get as many at bats as possible for Jay Hen to. He's he's too good for Triple A now, in my opinion. So for Jay Hen to be up for Jackson Joe. I know we're not talking necessarily, not a guarantee, obviously, for 2024, but can't rule that out. Jace Young, can't rule that out. So, like, reinforcements are coming. uh, And so you can, I I wouldn't want to have, like, some Jonathan Scope equivalent, like blocking Jace Young from making a uh, Major League debut or something like that. You see what I'm saying? So, So I just thought that was interesting. Another topic that's on my mind, uh, kind of related to the Flaherty signing, I think the most interesting pitcher the Tigers have been at least linked to, rumored to, uh, remaining on the market is Shota Imanaga. The Japanese pitcher kind of viewed as the number two after Yamamoto on the market will probably sign after Yamamoto. I was never fully on board that hype. I think the links to the Japanese pitchers has been one of the more overblown storylines this offseason. Uh, especially after the Flaherty signing, I did a little more looking at Imanaga, and he's he's always stood out like has good stuff, strikes out guys, and walks almost no one. I think there's a pretty big red flag in his profile. Gives up about a homer per nine innings in the Nippon Professional Baseball League. Uh, there's some pretty interesting research in home run rates from pitchers coming from the NPB to the MLB. Their home run rate tends to about double. It's been considered. A dead ball era in Japan. That phrase has been used. So if this guy's giving up tanks in the NPB, he's probably going to give up a lot more tanks in MLB. There's it's literally happened to um, anyone and everyone, including Shohei Otani. So some real risk. This guy is very susceptible to the home run ball. You would just think, like, I don't know, he'd probably still strike out guys and walk fewer guys, but he's being projected at like five years, 80 mil. Like, that's Eduardo Rodriguez money. I already had – if the, the Flaherty signing would seem to signal the Tigers are probably out on Imanaga, and I don't think that's – I don't think that's actually a bad thing. Yeah, I don't know if I'd be that comfortable committing that many years uh, to someone – like, I was actually listening to Jeff Passon on the podcast recently, and they were just kind of – they were talking about Otani, but it kind of filtered into, you know, some of the other players that have come from uh, Japan – and it's like, remember, like, Dice K? He had, like, yes. one stellar year. And after that, it was kind of like, eh. You know, like, you Darvish was really good, but you Darvish was also, you know, there was always something going on with you Darvish, I felt like, you know, especially, you know. you Darvish is still a really good pitcher. I mean, it's, sometimes these yeah. guys do become victims of too much hype. Like, I think Dice K, t- tremendous example. Like, 
lot of hype, a lot of money. Was a solid major league pitcher for about four seasons. Was kind of he didn't meet the hype. You know, that didn't mean he sucked. He's probably better than he gets credit for in retrospect. But it was also really only about four years that that he was very good and uh, never achieved superstar status either. And I think you, you Darvish is, one when healthy, one of the best pitchers in baseball and still kind of gets a reputation as like, ah, I don't know, a little bit of a letdown, which I don't think is fair. Um, but it is a reminder, like, it's, it's, it's easy to overpay in these deals. Um, and then you add on the posting fees and all that. Uh, it can be dangerous. I see why teams want Yamamoto. Scouts think he can be an ace. Obviously, Otani worth every penny. Um, but for every every one or two of those guys, there's a long list of players who haven't quite uh, lived up to the building. For sure. And yeah, like you'd love. There were years where you'd love to have you Darvish at the top of your rotation, but it was just like I said, the uh, he never really connected with Rangers fans uh, for for whatever reason. So. Uh, but yeah, hell of a, hell of a pitcher, obviously. Huh. All right, so another thing, Cody. That actually, this was a week of you just making my brain biscuits turn because you you said something on last week's pod that as I was going through it uh, editing, that kind of got me thinking a little bit. I think we can hash this out here. I think it's an interesting thought exercise. You said we're. You know, when we're projecting the team, we're talking about this, we're talking about that. We're kind of taking Riley Green for granted. And, again, I don't have anything actually wrong with that opinion. But I was also thinking, I was like, you know, are we taking him for granted? Or are we being too assuming? So Riley Green has earned, he's been worth 3.3 war in his career. Last season, 1.9. So basically two. We'll call it two. Uh, baseball reference for he's got 16 career home runs and health stuff keeps happening i i I don't really want to say like is an issue i don't want to go that far but it's 100 percent fair to say keeps happening and he's played in get this right he has played in 324 excuse me he's played in 192 games out of a possible 324 that is about 59% of games he's been available. Uh, and I'm sure that, you know, there's a rest day or two in there as well, obviously. But he's played in 59% of games so far in two seasons. Are we, are we too assuming with Riley Green? I, I'll just kind of, I'll, I'll just kind of give you that. Are we being too assuming? Not necessarily the player, because I have no, uh, no qualms about that, but just like, are we being too assuming with a guy who's 23 years old and, like, we just, there's been health red flags there? Are we being too assuming? That's 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 just a question. It's a really interesting point you raise. Makes me, makes me think about it a little bit. Look, I think the health concerns are real. Like, they're red flags. Like, yeah, they kind of seem like random isolated events. But, again, some guys, for whatever biological reason are just more prone to injuries than others and it's starting to look like riley green is one of those guys he has stress fracture in your early 20s like that's a little bit scary does make me wonder like okay this guy headed for more of a grady size more career than a i don't know yeah is, is he gonna be able to stay on the field enough to have a hall of fame type career that's a legit concern at the same time i think we're taking him for granted because we we still haven't seen that much of him 
He's 23. We've not gotten a full year. In May and June last year combined, Riley Green hit 356. Like, that's that's crazy. And that's when the injury came. Um, and he, it was good when he came back from the injury. But this guy was really cooking there for a minute. Had a 119 WRC plus at age 22 in a season where he uh, missed a good chunk, came back from injury, didn't really miss that much of a beat. And again, May and June was playing at a – he was playing at an MVP level, okay? Uh, that's why, to go back to last week's point, I just hope we get a full year of the Riley Green experience uh, because there is – I don't know, man. He could be a really, really good player, and I think the injuries and injury concerns – are starting to overshadow the fact this guy hit 356 uh, over a two-month stretch at age 22. Looking forward a little bit, but I'm I'm definitely going to be very curious to see what you say and then what other writers put in their stories about how is his demeanor coming in. And Torque will definitely be one that I'll be looking at too. How is his demeanor going to be good? Who's going to fill that, oh, look at that, void? Now, because now Cabrera's not there, you know what I mean. So who's gonna kind of fill that 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 void to uh, to to kind of be the Tigers are in town, Riley Green's here or whatever. Even the emotional aspect of the clubhouse, and we're very interested in that because Green, I think, has for this team specifically, has enough skins on the wall in terms of like proving his ability to do that for this kind of clubhouse. Not for every clubhouse, but for this kind of clubhouse, he could. So I'll be very curious, to, uh, you know, Riley Green, the guy. Uh, I know captains, there's not really, like, as much a thing in baseball, but who's going to be the captain? Who's going to be, you know, that kind of that kind of force for the Tigers? And Riley Green is somebody who very easily could walk into that role, but the injury might throw that off a little bit. I don't know, but it's gonna be, I'll be very curious. The... We're going to talk about this and write about this ad nauseum in spring training. There are going to be a million stories about it, but it's it, it's going to be true. The Tigers are a young team. There are going to be um, downsides to that. At the same time, like there's a lot of there's a lot of dead weight, for lack of a better term, gone. All right, Mickey's gone. Eduardo's gone. Um, even you know Turnbull and Meadows, like some of these other kind of distracting storylines, are just out the window. They'll probably be replaced by something else weird because it always happens. And you still have Javi Baez, but like I don't think Javi's a bad teammate as much. Like Javi just he kind of does his own thing. He keeps to himself. He's not going to be the leader. I also don't think he's really a distraction um, away from the field. Like Javi just does Javi, whatever, for better for like whatever. This team belongs to Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson and these other young guys on the rise. Mark Cannon will be there to, to help add a little veteran presence, but like this is their team now, Sands and Miguel Cabrera. Uh, I, I think their presence will be felt in the locker room more than ever. It is a little bit of a test. Like, are they ready for that? Are they ready to carry that mantle? From everything we've seen and gotten to know about Riley and Tork, like seeing like guys well-equipped for that, people around the team have been talking about that for two years now, just like, just wait until it becomes their club. And this is the year that, that it's their club now. Yeah, and two guys that I feel like have handled the acclaim. And you know what? Casey Mize falls in this category, too, of guys who have handled like the high draft pick thing and then you know ascending through the minors. Uh, and, you know, that's two college guys and a high school guy, too. So that's that's kind of interesting. They And they've, they've had the spotlight on them in a way that 
you know, not every high draft pick gets. I wouldn't say Jackson Job has had that spotlight so far. You know right. what I mean? So they, I think they've all kind of handled it well. Uh, and Casey Mize, definitely, that, that'll be another one that'll be reported on, talked about by us, you know, ad, ad nauseum. So we don't... And my, that, that's such an interesting one. Like, talk about guys forgotten or appreciated or underappreciated. Casey Mize, like, now it's kind of like, I don't think anyone quite knows what to expect. I think that that huge hype that was there not all that long ago is not there anymore. Maybe just because there are more players to get the attention on. Maybe because Scooble is uh, really taking on like the hype role now. Like it'll be Casey Mize will be fascinating next year. Could he get back to like oh is there a future ace ceiling here? Like like I don't know. Injuries are also a red flag with him, but. Uh, that's just funny how little we kind of talk about Casey Mize. These well, days. baseball. Granted, because yeah, pitched him yeah, forever. Well, but. baseball, just because there's so many games and there's so many, you know, guys that kind of have moments. Like, you, you get out of sight, out of mind, real quick uh, in this game. So, uh, so yeah, we'll be like I said, it'll be very interesting to see that. Uh, all right, other topical news. You talked about how Scott Harris. We've we've talked about the past couple of weeks about like organizational health and laying the foundation, and that kind of thing, and doing a lot of stuff that not necessarily like equate to wins and losses, but it, it, it's improving your organization still. And that was the big news this week. I guess the secondary big news this week, uh, getting a new electronic scoreboard. looks like, I don't know, whatever the square footage is. It, all I know is going to be big as hell. Uh, and <laughs> That's the better way to put it than reading off a bunch of numbers. Second biggest in baseball. And uh, getting new TVs around the, uh, around the concourses and, around the uh those are sorely needed actually some of the old ones like didn't even work and looked like they're from the 90s <laughs> even though the ballpark was constructed in the 2000s yeah, so they, they weren't rca but i got rca vibes so just <laughs> <laughs> i'll just praise it like that uh so that'll be interesting so i'm, I'm not giving the tigers props for that one because that one is long overdue the video board looks pretty cool to me all right uh I got I got a new TV down here in my my office got like 55 inches. I've been pretty excited about it, you know. I've been enjoying it, been spending some time down here. And then I saw this picture of the scoreboard and I was like, my TV doesn't feel cool anymore. <laughs> like this thing's huge, like it, it, the rendering of it, go look at it online if you haven't. Looks really nice. Um, second biggest in baseball. Obviously this ain't cheap, so say we only want about Chris Ellich. he's uh shelling out some money to upgrade this video board. If I have one question, it's uh, the, the rendering kind of has a T shape. You can see these spaces that presumably will be filled by ads. Makes me wonder if they're showing like an in-game replay. How's that? Is it only going to be one part of the board? Or will part of that replay be cut off by where these ads are? Uh, that's my one question. Um, be be interested I'm to see this sure thing. You're going to have to man. buy ad space to be on replay, you know. You know, re- right, replay right. brought to you by Wallside Windows or whatever. You know, um, and so you could also just—I guess it'd probably be more expensive to make it even bigger. But uh, you could just have all digital ads, like like get rid of these weird T corners. I don't know. I don't know. That's my yeah. one—not even a criticism, just question about it. The ballpark's come a long way when you look at it when it first opened, and you know it's you know sneakily twenty whatever years old. It's come a long way. They, well, they have uh, they have done some stuff to keep it fresh. It never felt stale to me. Uh, I've been saying, like, I think Comerica is, is aging somewhat poorly. So some of the upgrades that are coming along are, are good and I think needed. So who's so who do we give 
credit for on something like this? Like, is this is this also on Scott Harris's plate? Is this like you know, like who's kind of the driving force for you know doing things like this? Obviously, Chris has to approve it and write the check, but like who? Where? Yeah, you know, I have no idea. Uh, Ryan Gustafson gets quoted in the press release. Uh, I don't. I'm sure Ryan Gustafson is a very talented sports executive. I don't fully understand the responsibilities of his job. So I thought, shout out Ryan Gustafson. Let's just yeah, give, let's him, give the him the credit. He, it's, it's all right. He Ryan. had to put his name on it. So, uh, so let's <laughs> give him the credit. Uh, all right, Cody. I, I, I kind of want, we don't do a whole lot of just like national kind of baseball news. Obviously this being a Tigers podcast, but I kind of wanted to get your thoughts and share mine about Shohei Otani and this Dodgers contract. So, you know, $70 million a year, just average, and then it kind of comes out that it's over $2 million deferred uh, for like 10 years from now or whatever. And I, I, I got I to gotta tell you, this was celebrated in a way that I was surprised because baseball owners, like, in general, don't get a whole lot of uh, good publicity, good thoughts from the public. And the Dodgers are essentially getting... I'll, I'll say this right here. The Dodgers are getting Otani for free, essentially. More or less, they are getting yes. they are getting him for free. So $2 million per year uh, for, you know, for the duration of his contract. Then they pay him you know, the rest of the money deferred with no interest. The amount of merchandising, advertising, TV dollars, uh, presumably playoff, gate revenue, beers, whenever he's playing, for like, it's not going to cost him any money, Cody. And and he essentially gave the ownership group like his services for free, more or less. And you know this notion, it's like, oh, so they can go get more players. It's like they could do that anyway. You know what I mean? Like this is it's crazy to say that like a you know 700 million dollar contract or whatever is team friendly but it is it is a team friendly contract I mean it's it's genius and it's friendly for Otani because of the whole tax thing you know he's not going to pay California taxes I, yeah, on, my doubts on, on all that. this I, I think uh I think California is going to find a way to get that tax revenue I'll just phrase it like that but yes, I don't know. I, I, it's not like Otani has idiots working for him. All right. I think, uh, I think both the Dodgers and Otani found some very, very creative loopholes here that are really interesting. I'm not the guy to, to be super knowledgeable about all the ins and outs of the business. My understanding is that like, literally this might cost the Dodgers nothing because the bulk of this money is not going to be paid for so far down the line. Which a yeah could be a different front office, different ownership group. Who knows? There's the key man clause in Otani's contract, which is Very really interesting. Yeah. Which, um, but like they can put some money in like a bond or some sort of escrow account, and basically like set aside some money, invest it, and that's how you're gonna pay Otani in ten to twenty years time. Um, seems like I think something that's possible. So, kind of mind blowing to to think of it. Um. And Otani makes so much via endorsements and ads that his him only getting two mil from the Dodgers is like nothing, and uh, he's going to be a very rich man for the rest of his life. Well, you know the the thing is now obviously he was never coming to Detroit, so I'm not implying that. But every team, <laughs> every team could have done, done this, this, right? Every team, 
And apparently this was like his idea, his team's idea, all that stuff. Like I'm not criticizing Otani. Uh, but I, it got me thinking. I was like, is this like, I don't know. I was a little surprised the Players Association didn't kind of like step in at a certain point. Like, hey, you're, you're going to pay interest. Let's just have them pay interest. That's it. Just have them pay interest. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because they get involved in stuff like this all the time. Uh, like, and he, again, he more or less is taking a pay cut. Remember when A-Rod was almost traded to the Red Sox and the PA, and mm-hmm. they, he negotiated himself a pay cut. He agreed yep. to it. Association said, nah, not doing it. Trade Knicks goes to the, uh, goes to the Red Sox, uh, excuse me, goes to the Yankees and the rest is history. Yankees. But I'm a, I'm a little surprised that there wasn't any sort of like, hey, guys, hello, this is like a great deal for the billionaires that own the team. Like a great deal. And no brainer. Anybody yeah. can do it. Yeah, I'm a little surprised there hasn't been more public pushback. Even I think Scott Boris has been pretty measured in his comments, and I would assume Scott Boris does not like this deal. Like that's just my assumption. Um, he publicly, all I've seen that he says like, "Oh, the market for everyone else is still status quo." Not like everyone is, you know, your mid-level or like one-year free agents aren't going to be doing these types of deals. But it absolutely alters the top of the market and alters. What Boris may be trying to negotiate for for Juan Soto next year, um, no, like yeah, will this become precedent? Will there be something that closes these loopholes? Will the PA? Uh, so far, it's been kind of being framed as like a unicorn contract, but uh, I think there will be repercussions of this. I think we will see some changes to where I don't think whatever Juan Soto signs for next year will will be structured this way. Yeah, and again, it's not like nobody broke any CBA rules or anything like that. I'm not making any accusations. And again, Otani agreed to this. So, you know, it was allegedly his idea and all this stuff. Like so, but I'm just, I'm just curious. Like, it, yeah, like, like I said, that there wasn't any pushback. And you know, the another thing that no one's really talking about is that you're paying this much money for this guy who's not going to be a two way player at least this year. And after that, like. Who knows? Like it, it's it, it's. It, well, it doesn't seem like as big it, of a risk when you're <laughs> actually not really paying for it, though. You know, yeah. and they and you're getting so much money in, in in you know ads and merch and revenue and like outside revenue that again every team could have done this and that huge gamble is it is it though? No, not for them. You're paying them two mil a year. I mean, the Rays could. The rest done is going to be covered. The Rays could have done this. Any everybody could have done this. It's it. I think it's genius for both the Dodgers and Otani. Like it, it kind of blows my mind how how creative this contract is. You know what else blows my mind? This is really random. Mookie Betts being a everyday second baseman. That that, that also kind of blows my mind. Opus hasn't been talking about <laughs> enough. Yeah, like what? Wow. Like, and he he came up playing infield, but yeah, and and he he made that switch back to infield so seamlessly this past year and was great. But now it's just like. Oh yeah, he's he's second baseman now. And we just all like move on. I was like, wait, what? Like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I mean, I I I will say this though. I do think it's good for baseball for Otani to be at a winning organization and to be. I mean, this is the this is a guy that we have to watch in October. We have to watch him in October. Uh, for the for the good of the game. So he's obviously going to and the Dodgers to their credit have made good use of this money saved. They went and got glass now, 
and uh, it, and I'm sure there will be other moves uh, up the uh, uh, as we get close to the spring training. But to their credit, like you know, they immediately went and made good on their sort of like promise to you know keep improving the team, spend money, and and all that stuff. So in Los Angeles, you know. People in the Midwest, people in the South don't really like to hear about, like, how important the coasts are. But it is, like, nice to have Otani playing for a premier Blue Blood franchise that we know is going yeah. to Yeah. I want him to go elsewhere just <laughs> to make it more interesting. Like, Otani playing in Toronto. Just, I don't know. Something about that would have been cool. I don't, I don't love to see these guys just go to the Dodgers and the Yankees. Like, it ultimately is probably better for the game that way, but... I don't know. I just, I just think it's more intriguing when uh, you go somewhere a little less. I mean, you go somewhere that's not freaking the Dodgers or the Red Sox. Or the well, the Red Sox are a, a small market. They are, and they don't spend now, money so. anymore. So they are, yeah. Uh, yeah, they, that will never happen again. But for a few years there. It was funny. Uh, all right, Cody. Uh, anything else you wanted to the, get into here as we record this uh, week before Christmas? I think that's all until the next Scott Harris news cycle. Uh, I think we've covered it this week. <laughs> and uh, thank you, Scott Harris. Give you a shout out. Thank you, Scott Harris, for just giving us things to talk about throughout throughout the off season. It's 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 been it's been fun doing these uh, doing these pods and kind of piecing together these little moves and how how they're doing. So credit to Scott Harris. Credit to the Tigers for being interesting literally every week. So it's- let's make a trade in January. <laughs> let's have a trade. Yeah. Uh, It'll be good content. I mean, keep in mind, it was, uh, what, January 7th that, uh, Thereabouts, that yeah. uh, he made the Soto trade, the Gregory Soto trade, so. <laughs> the Soto <laughs> trades. So, you, you, so uh, he is he ain't done yet, I think, I think we can confidently say, as he continues to craft the roster in his image. All right, you can follow Cody on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Cody Stavenhagen. I'm at Kieran underscore Steckley. Our pod page is at Turn Corner Pod. YouTube, Turn the Corner Podcast. Subscribe, Apple, Spotify. And uh, looking forward to a nice holiday season, uh, Cody. And then we'll get, 2024 will be here before we know it. And we'll be ratcheting things up. So uh, a lot still to come. So I want to thank everybody for listening. Five-star review if you feel so inclined. So for Cody Stavenhagen, I'm Kieran Steckley. Everybody have a great week.